0: Has anyone ever had a moment in your life where you were scared? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit that? Joey says, nope, he's never been scared his whole life. Nope. No? Anybody? Yeah? Yeah, yeah? Cool, cool. I, uh, I think I may have talked about this before in here, but my son George, if you know him, he's a eight-year-old funny little boy. But uh, we've had to put, which I think we've started to like come back around on this, but for a little while we had to put a no jump scare rule in our house because Uh, It was like, I think it was doing damage to my son's heart. Uh, But the other day, not like legitimately, but like he was just scared so much. And so often he's scared so easily. But the other day he was, he just happened to be that he was stepped out of his uh, room into the hallway and I was standing right there. And so I just went, George. And he literally just went, (sighs) Like closed his eyes, fell out on the ground. He didn't actually pass out, but his his just reaction was just like <laughs> shutting down, right? I, anybody ever had that moment though, like where you've been like, there's just something happens and you're just like power down, right? Like you just hit the power down button, you're like game over. Anybody? Yeah, yeah. You're like no. All right, cool. You guys are cooler than me, I guess. Uh, that kind of thing. But there are these moments in life, and as you continue to live life, there will be these moments that are these moments maybe that are scary or maybe just. Unknown, and you have to step out, sort of you have to step out in faith. And what Proverbs tells us, Proverbs, we're not gonna be in Proverbs tonight, so you don't have to turn there, but Proverbs chapter 3, verse uh, 26 tells us, for the Lord will be your confidence. If we are following the Lord, if we're chasing hard after him, then we should find our confidence in him. Even when there's a moment of fear or maybe some next step or whatever it is that's scary or unknown, we find our confidence in in him. This is the last week of our series Against the Grain. And so we're going to be, we've been looking at different biblical uh, heroes, David, Moses, and then last week, Hosea Hunter talked about him uh, in moments that they've had in their life or maybe just significant parts of their life where they were against the grain. They were different than the culture around them. Maybe they stepped out in faith, they lived out something differently. Than their culture and, and everything that it would uh, expect. Tonight we're going to be in Judges chapter four. So go ahead and turn there. And we're going to work our way through. We're going to read uh, a lot of it. So you got to hang with me. We're, there's going to be some really fun hard words in there, uh, uh, Hebrew words and things like that. Things like towns and things like that. It's going to be fun. But if it if it holds your attention, the end of the story ends with murder. So stick around to the end of the story. Pay attention. Right? The end of the story ends with murder. But we're going to meet really the. Primary character, I want us to, to see, when I say character, she was a real person, uh, but Deborah was a prophet and a judge in Israel at this time. We're going to meet her, and she's kind of the major player here, but uh, a couple of supporting uh, players is a, a military leader named Barak, and then just an average woman named, not that Barak, um, everyone was like, right, named Barak, and then an average uh, housewife woman named Jael, right? And she's going to actually be at the end part of the story, if that gives you a hint about what happens, right? I keep kind of like pointing you toward there, right? Uh, and you're like, JJ, you just said it was murder and you're smiling. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it's pretty gruesome too. Um, trying, to, trying to make sure you like hold your attention, right? So uh, <laughs> Judges chapter 4, let's see here. The first couple of verses here give us some context of where we are in the history of Israel, okay? So starting at verse 1, chapter 4 of the book of Judges. And the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned over Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagium. That's a fun word, right? Try to say that ten times fast, not right this second, but maybe later when you read the story again, right? Verse 3, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Where we are is in, that's really a summation of this cycle that Israel, the people of Israel would find themselves over and over and over again, where they would uh, first be following hard after him, uh, God, and following his commands, and trying to live righteously and holy and this whole deal. But then they would be led astray, and they would slowly drift away from him and then do whatever they thought was right. And that's what it starts, right? That Israel was doing whatever was right in their own eyes. They weren't following the righteousness of the Lord. They weren't following his commands, those kinds of things. And so he had allowed them to fall into, actually it says he sold them, right? We won't get into the theology of that whole deal, but like he allows them, and this happens multiple times throughout their history, that they then become oppressed by some foreign nation, a foreign leader and things like that. And then because of who God is, and we'll really dig into this later, they cry out for help. They finally turn around and realize they need God. They ask for help. And then what does he do? He helps them, right? And this is a cycle that continues over. And the the book of Judges is just story after story, after story, after story of this, where Israel's following, they fall away, they cry out for rescue. God rescues, brings a judge or somebody like that in, brings rescue. And then they follow hard after God again for a little while. Then they slowly drift and fall away, right? The interesting thing is this is is an entire nation of people who do that. But if you're anything like me, and I'm certain you are, because you are a broken, sinful, fallen human, just like I am. Sorry to break the news to you if you didn't know that or or not. But we do the same thing in our own lives, in our own personal walk, even with people. There are times where we're like, "I I like or love this person, it's awesome. And then there's times where we're like, maybe not so much. I like or love this person, maybe not so much, right? But if you're a follower of Jesus the same is going to be true where there are times that you're just following harder after Jesus than maybe some other times. But the beautiful thing that we'll see about God is that every time you turn and cry out to him, he's there. Every single time. Because God is a God who is faithful, no matter what. God is faithful. God has made a promise That if his people cries out to him, he will bring rescue. He is for his people and he is for redemption. He is so holy and righteous and has to uphold those things. And so we are called to those to try and live by those standards. But when we're not, we drift and wander away from him and his ways. But every time we turn around, he's still there. The beauty of that is that he never moves. It's always us. It's always the nation of Israel that moves away from the Lord. And when they turn back, God's still right where he always has been, on the throne of heaven desiring for their rescue, for their redemption, their holiness and righteousness. And the same is true for you. God is constantly wanting your redemption for you to live righteously and live holy and those kind of things and not the way the world calls us to live, which is selfish and prideful and the whole deal. Right? So let's meet Deborah. All right. We're finally going to meet Deborah. Verse four. <clears throat> now Deborah, so we've met Deborah. Okay. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Of Lapidith was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel, in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So when we think of judge, most of the time we think of like the person in like the black robe that sits up like on the little the thing, and the lawyers like talk to him and like try to like they're trying to work out some sort of like legal matter, right? That's kind of what we think about in judge, right? That was not really what judgment here. Now there was some of that like deliberation uh, where people would come and argue things and try to settle out arguments or some sort of legal matter and that kind of thing. But that was not the only thing that was a part of their job. Maybe not even the mainly thing that, main part, thing that was part of their judge. So at this time in Israel, there was no central government. There was no kingdom. So Saul and David and all them have not existed yet in the, or they've not come into power or any of that kind of stuff at this point in history, right? So the way Israel was functioning is there were these regional leaders called judges that were really more chiefs. If you think of like a village sort of setting, they were sort of regional chiefs who their role in leadership position was to bring protection to the area. So there was some military leader sort of role in leadership there and to be the one to keep the peace. So to bring protection and to bring peace to whatever region that they were judging Uh, of Israel at the time. And so this is where we find Deborah. She is a judge. The interesting thing, there are several interesting things about Deborah here. She's the only female uh, that we see to be a judge in all of Judges, the only female judge that we know of. There may have been others, but as far as what's in Scripture, she's the only one. And she's actually only one of two people that we know of in the history of Israel to be known as a prophet and a judge. Samuel, who will come later in Israel's history, was the other one. So it's Deborah and Samuel. The last little interesting uh, factoid before we start reading again is that Deborah is the only judge that I'm aware of that there is nothing negative said about her. You have some of the, a lot of the other judges like Samson, you're like, okay, Samson did this really thing and helped save Israel, but he was a real terrible dude, honestly, um, which is a cool story in its own right of like God still using terrible people because we're all terrible and he can still use all of us, right? But that's not, that's a story for another time. But Deborah, there's nothing negative said about her. She was in an, I feel the same way. Um, <laughs> she, was, she was, by all those standards, was a great judge. She was a great prophet. She was a, the Lord was speaking to her, was using her in this way. She was bringing peace, and she was bringing protection to this region at this time. And so, but this was really countercultural, because if you think about this, especially this time of history, you wouldn't find women In leadership positions like this, some theologians have tried to argue that Deborah was in this position of leadership because there were no men around to like really that were worthy of being in the position and the whole deal. And that's just not in scripture. That may have been the case, but that's just not in scripture. And I'm not going to sit here and make a whole big deal out of that necessarily. But that's not what is in scripture. God, for whatever reason, regardless of the circumstances, God chose to speak prophecy to Deborah. And to use her as a leader in this time, of, in the nation of Israel's time. And that's significant. That's cool. Um, in a lot, of, a lot of different ways. All right, so let's continue, let's continue reading on the story here. Verse 6. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulon? That sounds like some sort of like... Star Trek thing, right? Uh, Zebulun. And I will uh, draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river uh, Kishon uh, with his chariots and his troops. Talk about the chariots, okay? They keep bringing up the chariots. To us, we're like chariots are like lame. That's old tech and that kind of thing. But there were 900 chariots of iron. They were basically that day's equivalent to a tank. And so if somebody rolls up on you with 900 tanks, you're terrified, okay? Um, the whole deal. So chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. So just to sort of like help you understand what's happening here, okay? So she receives this prophecy, this word from the Lord, that God was, the people were crying out, to God to bring rescue from King Jabin and uh, this military leader, Sisera. And the Lord uh, gave uh, Deborah this prophecy to know: okay, this is what you need to do, and you're gonna, you're gonna be rescued. Your people are gonna be set free from this king and military rule and all these kinds of things. And she tells um, Barak, who is this other great general, and it's interesting and really smart in, in my, of my opinion, that he's like, okay, this is awesome that you told me this. And it's awesome that we're about to be set free, and this is great, but I'm not going unless you're going, which tells us that Deborah must have been a really good warrior, right? Because she's a chief. She brings protection. She, there's some military leadership in her role in this, but if an, if a other military leader guy is like, I'm not going unless you're going, right? I think there are t- sort of two significant reasons why he would do that. One would be that she was really good in battle, but the other is she's the one who like has the vision of what's going to happen here, and so it's only smart to have Deborah with you if she's the one who kind of knows what's happening, right? I also I find it interesting that at the end there he says, okay, or she says that there's going to be victory, but it is not the glory is not going to go to you, Barack. It's going to actually go to a woman. And so at this point in the story, you're like well, Deborah's going to like do something awesome. It's going to be her. She's going to like be the one to like bring rescue and that kind of stuff. And then you like get excited about that sort of thing, and that's awesome. I see that, and I continue to see God using unexpected people. We don't know yet fully who's going to be used. I mean, I kind of gave it away at the beginning, but as you're reading the story at this point, like you don't really know who God's going to use, except for you know it's going to be an unexpected person. Typically, 99% of the time, women at this time, were not a part of battle on purpose in any sort of way, uh, maybe by accident or whatever, like it's coming to their village or their home or those kinds of things, but they're not a part of battle. And so you start to see, okay, God's going to deliver Uh, this military general into the hands of a woman who's going to defeat him and bring victory to the nation of Israel. God loves using the unexpected, loves it. Because here's why. If this mighty giant warrior who is war proven goes into battle and takes everybody out, who gets the glory? You can talk out loud if you want. Who gets the glory? The big warrior guy who's expected to win battles, right? Like, he, it's expected that he's going to win a battle, so he gets the glory. Like, man, that guy's awesome. He did yada, 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 whatever. But God loves to use the unexpected so that his people see that it's clearly him. It would have been him all along, even with the mighty warrior. He was the one who gifted the warrior with that, those abilities and put him in the position to do that. But it's even more clear when God uses the unexpected that it's actually him bringing the rescue. It's actually him who's bringing about things, which makes me start to look at my life and start to look for the unexpected things, maybe the unexpected people, the unexpected circumstances in my life, and see where God's working. Because I want, I want to see God work in my life, and I hope that you want to see God work in your life as well. And God is always working in our lives, but the easiest places to see Him are in the places that we wouldn't expect to see Him. So you kind of have to like, learn to expect the unexpected. Right? That's fun. Uh, and the whole deal, but God loves to use the unexpected. Uh, and that's a, re- that's a really cool thing. But again, it's so that it's clear that He's bringing the rescue, because what He wants is for you is for the at this point, He's wanting the nation of Israel to fully turn back to Him, to glorify Him and follow him, so that they can live the life that they've been called they were created to live in relationship with Him. All right, let's read on. Starting in verse 14, we're going to skip a couple verses here. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the army of Harashath Hagom and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. So at this point, Barak's winning the battle. Things are going his way. He's excited. Um, and it's looking like, hey, this stuff's coming true. What Deborah has prophesied, what she said the Lord is happening, it's, it's all happening. Okay. So let's continue on and see how the story goes. Okay. But Sisera fled away on foot. So this guy's getting away. And this is the one that Deborah had said, hey, this guy's going to die today, basically, right? Like the whole deal. And so he's running. Sisera fled away on foot, which means he was a coward in some ways. I Man, captain goes down with the ship. What are you doing? Um, but anyway, he fled. That's not in the Bible. I'm just saying things out loud. So here we go. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Oh, here we go. The wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. So he thought this was a safe space. He's like, okay, there's peace here between my, my king and these people, so I'm going to run here. Verse 18, Angel came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside. This is she, basically what she's saying, and we'll get some more hints of this in a minute. She's like, lay down, take a nap, right? Lay down, just take a rest. You're scared, just here. So he turned aside to her in the tent, and she covered him with a rug, this is a blanket, right? Uh, verse 19, and he said to her, please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He asked for water, and she gave him. Has anybody ever like, heard the, the whole thing, like if you want to like, take a good nap, drink some warm milk? It's usually not advised to drink milk warm, but like, it was this old thing, and I don't know if people still do this, but you drink some warm milk, and it just helps you take a nap. I find this interesting. He's like, give me some water, I'm thirsty. She's like, here's some warm milk for you. Lay down, take a nap, right? It's getting suspicious, but he didn't pick up on it. Verse 20, and he said to her, stand out at the opening of the tent. If any uh, any man comes and asks you, <clears throat> is anyone here, say no. But Jael, the wife of Haber, uh, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand, and she went softly to him, so she's sneaking up on him, right, and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. She took this... Uh, tent peg, and literally hammered it through all the way through his head into the ground. Murder. (laughs) Told you. The story was going to end in murder, right? Murder. (laughs) There's been a murder, right? Um, But there's no mystery here. And so we won't read the rest of it, but what happens, yeah, (laughs) some office reference and some other things there for you guys. Um, So what happens next is Barack comes by and and uh, Jael comes running out to Barack and says, "Hey, come quick! I've got something to show you." This is we're now switched to the JJSV version of this, right? Um, She's like, "Quick! I've got something to show you." And so she she like opens up the tent door like Vanna White. You don't know who that is because I'm old, right? And, and shows. And then he Barack walks in and is like, "Dope!" Right? Like he sees that <laughs> that's probably he was more like right. He just sees this dude nailed to the ground, um, which is extremely gruesome, but. He deserved it. Um, Anyway, so the Lord has now delivered the nation of Israel from this tyrant, this foreign leader who has been controlling them. The entire army is wiped out, and this ordinary, average, quote-unquote, housewife has defeated this incredible military general with some warm milk and a blanket and a tent peg. Um, Very unexpected, right? I mean, that's very unexpected. Here, take a nap. Um, So, if anybody tries to force you to take a nap, check for tent pegs. Um, Have you read the book of Judges? You familiar with this, right? Um, This has gotten weird, right? Um, Anyways, so God has brought rescue in some really significant, unexpected ways. He's used unexpected people to do all of this. The beauty of all of this is that it's just only the Lord could orchestrate these kinds of things. Only the Lord can set these things into motion to work out this way is because the people cried out to him and because of his faithfulness, he followed through with all of it. He brought rescue. But you also have to realize that Deborah and Jael and Barak all had to play their parts in having confidence in the Lord. Deborah first had to have confidence in the Lord that the prophecy that she received was accurate and that the Lord was bringing victory and uh, to freedom to the nation of Israel, and she had to step out in faith and confidence to know that the Lord was going to fulfill the word that he had given to her. Barak had to trust the prophecy of Deborah and understand and knew the faithfulness of God. And Jael, she's just awesome, right? She didn't know the prophecy. She didn't know any of this. She knew that the, place, the area was under um, oppression and all of that by this guy, and the Lord used her in some mighty ways, but that had to be scary for her. Like, she's not a warrior. She's not someone who's seen battle. She just takes care of a tent. And yet God used her in incredible ways. Why is it that they had such confidence in the Lord? It's because they understood his faithfulness. And I've said this multiple times, but the problem is, is that the nation of Israel knew the faithfulness of God, and they continued to live out this cycle of walking away from him and crying out and coming back, walking away from him and crying out and coming back. They knew the faithfulness of God, but they continued to wander away. We have to hold on and stay focused on the faithfulness of God because that's what's going to give us confidence and focus to stay in, to stay leaning into him and growing in him and living out a life that is against the grain, a life that is different, the life that unexpected people like you and I can be used in big and incredible ways for God to bring rescue to the people around us who desperately need salvation, right? The band's going to come up and sing another song. I want us to take a moment, we do this often, I want us to take a moment, to kind of put away our stuff and just kind of enter into some reflection kind of close our eyes, not touching the people around us or playing on our phones or anything like that and just reflecting, One of the first questions I have as we kind of close our eyes and reflect in is would you rather place your confidence in this, as you live out your life, would you rather place your confidence in the people around you who often fail you? If they haven't, they, they will at some point. Or place your confidence in God who is always faithful. Would you rather place your confidence in the things of this world Or God, who is faithful. I want you to begin, as we sing this song, it's How Great Thou Art. In just a second, we'll sing. But as we sing it, I want you to start to to try to reflect on your life to this point, on moments that maybe are unexpected, but you see the faithfulness of God working in your life. This is not like a, you thought you were going to fail a test, but you passed it kind of faithfulness, but like ways that God has actively worked and shown himself in your life, freed you from some sort of temptation or whatever, whatever ways that you've been needing to be freed, if you have accepted Him as Lord and Savior, then the ultimate freedom is that salvation, reflecting in that, in that moment the faithfulness of God. We can have confidence in Him because He is faithful when we are not. Father, I love you so much. I'm so thankful that you are faithful even though I am so often just not. It is proven in your word as we read through the the whole of Scripture that you continue to be righteous and holy and faithful as your people continue to cycle in and out of truly being focused on that faithfulness. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be in every single one of our lives in this room and you would help let us all see how faithful you really are in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.